Welcome to this episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WBEW LP Brattleboro, your community radio station on 107.7 FM. For our new listeners, the Montpelier Happy Hour is where we talk about how things in Montpelier shake out for Wyndham County. I am your host, Olga Peters, and today it is just the dynamic duo of myself and Emily Kornheiser, regular contributor and representative for the town of Brattleboro to the State House, which, Emily, you have been working hard at the State House lately, like, namely with, oh, I don't know, little things like budgets. We have In the time of COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, as I understand it, on June 5th, the House approved a fiscal year 2021 budget, but only for the first quarter. Yes. Of the year. And some of the highlights of this this budget is that Governor Scott had um, recommended a 2% decrease in spending. And mm-hmm. this budget does not do that, but it is level funded. Mm-hmm. So for folks out there wondering what the state will be funding or not, like what, what does that mean to have a, a level funded budget for the first quarter? So... We um, don't usually just do a quarter budget. This right. is something we've never done before. And given the incredible uncertainty um, that we're all operating in, uh, personally, politically, financially, um, and the fact that tax returns were postponed a quarter. Um, so the April 15th, April 15th deadline became the July 15th deadline. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was both federal and state. And those same, um, there were a number of other taxes that were also postponed. Um, Meals and rooms, receipts, even though that's a trust tax and is sort of sitting in the restaurants already. The um, remission, remission, is that the word I want? The, anyway, paying those to the state were um, also postponed. And so, given the incredible uncertainty about the future and the fact that we aren't even entirely aware of the present because we don't usually we don't have the information that we usually have from the april 15th tax returns we essentially have no idea how much money we have to spend um, with the way that budgets usually happen so there are a lot of different ways to think about budgeting Mm -hmm. and the way the vermont legislature thinks about budgeting is the governor proposes a budget and then the legislature takes how much revenues are available and takes the governor's proposed budget and puts them together and changes it a little bit to quite a bit depending on sort of legislative values and legislative priorities but sits um, really starts from that starting point of the governor's priorities and the money available there are other ways of doing budgeting mm-hmm. um, and we actually have in statute that we should be doing needs-based budgeting um, right. that that should be drafted annually and we don't do that um, and and just i want uh listeners to kind of hold that thought for a moment because we're going to give you sort of a nuts and bolts platform to launch of launch off of but we want to come back to that kind of concept of needs-based budgeting mm-hmm. and other ways you can do budgeting um, and budgets as a kind of a reflection of values. Um, so thank you for that, Emily. Wait, so to... Thank you. Um, and thank you for highlighting the importance, um, the values propositions and the mechanics of what I am explaining. And so given that we have no idea what revenues will be, rather than um, sort of naming the revenues that we want, we're saying that we can't um, do any real fiscal projections right now. Um, and we will have better fiscal projections in about a month. And so in ish. (laughs) Yeah, because it's like early June. And so July 15th, all the tax returns come in, like that's the final deadline. And then Mm -hmm. hypothetically, we'll have something very soon after that. Um, And so what there was a conversation about the idea of really just extending fiscal year 20, which ends on July 1st. but that becomes very confusing because then when is the starting point again? And we're like sort of putting ourselves in a strange um, cycle for the future. 
And so instead of extending fiscal year 20, we're calling this the first quarter budget of fiscal year 21, but are essentially treating it like just an extension of fiscal year 20. Okay. Um, and so in some ways that is why it's level funded mm -hmm. in that it's not any different from fiscal year 20. It's really mm -hmm. just, um, it did not usually in a budget, um, even the budgets that we draft that are based on sort of what's available and starting from the governor's starting point, there's still a lot of policy decisions that are woven into that. Um, a lot of testimony that's woven into that, a lot of sort of shifts in priorities, um, a lot of conversation about that. This first quarter budget really doesn't do any of that. Hmm. Okay. It says like, we are just going to continue with business as usual until we have enough information to make other decisions. And um, just to, to touch base, um, I know that usually the process for the entire state budget is, as you said, the governor makes his recommendations and, and, and then the House moves forward. Um, the Senate also comes up with its own budget and mm -hmm. then the two are kind of married together. Mm -hmm. um, what point is the Senate at right now, just so we have that frame of reference? I think they're just finishing up. And again, there was really um, more than in usual years, given the incredible difficulties of legislating remotely and the strange timeline that we're all operating in. So we've been in session two months longer than we normally would be. Um, and the end is not quite in sight. So given all of those factors. Um, there's been a lot more consensus building between the House, Senate, and the administration before things move. Hmm. Um, and so all assumptions are that the Senate is going to sort of continue on with just accepting um, that budget. Also worth noting for folks who don't know, the chair of appropriations on the House side and the chair of appropriations on the Senate side are sisters. <laughs> Thanks, Vermont. <laughs> oh, I just saw like a whole television episode right there. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's, um, that could be fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so fun. That's that's a fun Montpelier gossip fact um, oh. with lots of implications that I don't think we should get into right now. So that's what we're doing. And so um, there are a few places where money is being released for more than just the first quarter. And those are um, departments or agencies where a lot more spending happens in the first quarter than in other quarters. So, you know, some departments just sort of spend the same amount every year because their services don't change from quarter to quarter. And some departments spend a lot more in the first quarter of the year or a lot more in the last quarter of the year. And so um, that extension is really almost a duplication of what the first quarter budget looked like for that department the year previous, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so Fish and Wildlife um, got more than 25% of their annual budget because they do a lot of outside stuff in the summer. Mm -hmm. um, and the Agency of Education was released the full tranche of funding. Um, they get a full year budget because schools feel incredibly unstable right now and there was not a lot to be gained from not um, because all of those budgets are figured out very different are not controlled by the state um, it didn't make sense to pause on that mm -hmm. so that's the mechanics of it okay what i um for me the key sentence in what i said was we don't know enough and so we're just going to continue with business as usual mm -hmm. and we can't continue with business as usual and i think vermonters are screaming at us or crying at us or you know rallying in the streets um to say we can't continue with business as usual this is a very this is a very uncertain time with very specific needs. Mm -hmm. So um, when Adam Gresham, who's the director of finance um, and budgeting for the Scott administration came into my committee, 
and was talking about these um, cuts that were the same across the board that he was introducing um, from the administrative budget, I asked, did you perhaps take into account which departments perhaps had greater need right now and which might have lesser need? Because some, I am sure that some parts of the administration are actually doing a lot less work than they usually do right now. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but many, many are doing a lot more than they usually do. For instance, those providing essential services to people right. or food or well, I can also imagine, too, that some departments that have not been doing much, like the DMV, is going to see an uptick in need because they yes. closed down. But now all of us who have to renew our licenses, mm -hmm. um, we had that grace period. But now as life picks back up again, there's going to be a, hopefully a surge of sorts. Absolutely. And so while the administration did not take that into account in the budget that they proposed, those surges were built into that first quarter budget process for us, not in terms of an increased, um, in terms of how those quarters were balanced. Mm -hmm. And so an assumption that the judiciary branch would see, a, you know, is about to see a huge boost. But it was not, it was not a policy driven conversation. It was really a mechanistic conversation. Mm -hmm. So this is interesting to me, and, and I can see two sides of the coin here. On the one hand, as you said, uh, we have no idea how much money we have to spend. It's really hard to budget when you don't know what's coming in. And I feel mm -hmm. for the state in, in that processing, like, well, how do we do things fairly and how do we meet people's needs if we don't actually know what we're working with? Um, so I have sympathy for that. At the same time, as as I have kept saying, is that, you know, COVID, I said this at dinner with friends the other night, and maybe I've said it here, but, you know, our, our little apple cart was kind of busted before COVID, and then COVID took it, chewed it up, and then just mm, spewed it everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, how much do we want to try to put that apple cart back together? At this point, I think that's a very dead apple cart. Um, and, Can and I so comment on that? <laughs> yes. I had a really interesting um, <laughs> conversation the other day that really helped me understand this better in relationship to my colleagues. Mm -hmm. um, because I absolutely agree with you. It was a totally busted apple cart before. And now that it all sort of, you know, I really have like a very strong visual of like all the wheels were sort of falling apart and you couldn't really like push it over the cobblestones before and like it kept on like tipping and it was all of this stuff and now like just all the planks have fallen right off onto the pavement and there's just like a pile of apples and they're like getting banged up and mushy. Um, so that's how I saw the apple cart before and I think that's how so many Vermonters saw the apple cart. And I don't think, um, I think that it's taking the incredible strife with unemployment and the lines of people for food and the rallies for Black Lives Matter in order to get the majority of Vermont legislators to realize that the apple cart was broken. Interesting. Because due to the structure of our citizen legislature and how incredibly difficult it is to have the financial, emotional, and social capacity to serve, as we've said many times before, myself and my colleagues come from an incredibly privileged position in our communities mm -hmm. and often have peers who are incredibly privileged. And so that base understanding that the system is deeply broken and has been broken for a very long time, perhaps always, is not something that everyone sits with in their heart all the time. Mm -hmm. And so we wanna keep it all together, I think is much more the instinct than, oh my goodness, it's finally actually completely broken and maybe we can re like build a new thing. Which is where I think you and I have been coming from since you know the last few months of um, TV shows. 
mm-hmm. or whatever this is that we do. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that because yeah, what what I so want as much as I sympathize that the legislature is not making easy decisions and is not working with nice puzzle pieces that fit together or or healthy apples at this point if we're going to keep that metaphor going. Um I really want to see courage and I want to see creativity and I want to see innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I'm, I see, I can understand why extending the, the first quarter budget mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense um, because you don't know what revenues you're working with. But I'm, I'm curious, what is your sense up in the house of, okay, once we have the information and we couple it with what we learned from COVID, how are we going to change the next three quarter budgets? Um, budget for the next three quarters. That's probably the better way of saying it. Um, and right now I'm not feeling that that courage is there, but maybe I'm missing something. Um, let's see. Courage... My hope is that by being courageous, I can make space for other people um, to have movement and action that perhaps takes a little bit less courage. Um, Hmm. It's very hard to be the first one or the squeaky wheel or whatever it is. Um, This is true. After that, you know, sort of the second feel like there was some terrible video I watched at a leadership training once where like you know the first person to go dance in the field at the thing is like incredibly courageous and the next two people who join them are really stepping into their courage as well and then they make space for all of the other people to dance right mm-hmm. um that does sound like an awful video but that is a nice explanation yeah thank you <laughs> <laughs> leadership trainings are dumb um so I think there's something to that. Um, I think there's also, I don't think we can underestimate the way each of us in our emotional, physical, professional capacities are reacting to this time. Mm-hmm. And so we, I am i am new to the legislative process. I'm only two years in. I'm a person who's worked remotely before in my career. I'm comfortable with technology. Um, yeah. And so for a lot of my colleagues, the working remotely is, for me, it's a learning curve. I mean, all of the skills that I picked up the first two years about how to do a good job in this work are really out the window and I've had to learn entirely new skills over the last three months. Um, But for some of my colleagues, those have been skills they've been honing for 20 years and they need to learn entirely new skills. And so the our ability to have difficult conversations is incredibly lessened by the actual tools that we have to do our job. It's much harder to read a room or to um, tip, like slowly tip a room rather than flipping a room. Um, Subtlety goes mostly unnoticed. And so, and it's really hard to have um, the kind of preparatory conversations that we often have before a difficult conversation. There isn't really space for that. We don't have hallways and cafeterias and um, dinner. We don't have third spaces. We just have the committee room where we're all flat and we can't feel each other. Um, And so that really like the weaving work that I think um, helps difficult decisions be made is absent. Mm-hmm. That said, we are at a point right now with our legislating where everything has become a partisan argument. So we had this like three hour debate about tree wardens the other day. And to be perfectly honest, I still can't really explain to you exactly what a tree warden does after the three hours of tree warden debate because it wasn't about actually tree wardens. It was just this sort of like partisan back and forth about like, well, I'm not gonna get into it because it was, and I'm sorry for if there's one listener that's like really invested in tree wardens. I'm sorry. But, well, I think we can say that a conversation about tree wardens may be important, but if it's being any conversation that's being taken over by partisan debates, 
uh, probably goes off the rails pretty quickly. Yes, thank you. And so what I've been, um, what's important to me and I think important to remember is that if a conversation about tree wardens is going to be that difficult, why not spend that energy with something that is actually difficult, right? Mm -hmm. um, why not use that incredibly difficult conversation for those courageous conversations? And I've been, you know, I think that's really important when we talk about race um, and courageous conversations about race and mm -hmm. that we could be doing that about racial justice legislation right now in the state house. And I think we're going to, um, but I think it's just as important and possible um, as a way of having courageous conversations about class in mm -hmm. Vermont and how the policy decisions that we make with regards to the budget reinforce our existing class structure and our existing struggles for the majority of Vermonters. Mm -hmm. And yes, uh, I think sometimes our, our class issues go very much um, undetected mm -hmm. or, or unrecognized, not undetected, unrecognized mm -hmm. yeah. in, in ways that they need to be. Um, Okay, so I'm going to just shift a little bit because, um, you know, one thing I always want to be aware of on the, the happy hour that, and, and with any piece of, of conversation, it's so easy to, to, to start talking to the choir. Mm. Um, and I, I want to try to imagine what people who don't agree with us might be thinking or saying or needing to know right now. Thank you. Um, yes, I shall do my, I shall do my imaginative best. Um, so, you know, I, I can imagine a lot of people and actually, <laughs> I think my stepdad's one of them, you know, who are looking at COVID and feeling this uncertainty and their finances have taken a hit one way or the other. And perhaps they already feel that the state taxes too much and has too many fees and too many regulations. Mm -hmm. I can imagine right now in a way they're feeling like that their definition of courage might be different than ours. Mm -hmm. that, that they would be like, let's have the courage not to put more money on the backs of the citizens, which mm -hmm. I, I is a refrain I hear from from a number of people when it comes to how the state spends money mm -hmm. that it's just putting more burden on the backs of people um can you can you speak to that at all about going forward and and what like and and i'll just refine that a little bit you know this first quarter budget i i think the the house has probably come up with the best solution it can right now mm -hmm. so in a way i'm i'm talking about the next the rest of the year yeah. Um, so I think a great example of that is our um, the first round of economic development money that's about to go out the door. Mm -hmm. And that money is geared to um, businesses and grants and loans to businesses that are struggling to mm -hmm. make sure that they don't fold. Mm-hmm. And that's a laudable goal because we have businesses that are struggling, that didn't ask to shut down, that were shut down by government. I think government has an obligation to remedy its own actions in a way that say, if we hadn't, um, if it, even if it was just a sort of an ordinary recession and not um, a government mandated shutdown of the economy, then I wouldn't say we necessarily would have this role in the same way. but. There is some sort of making good on the actions of government that I think the federal government has acknowledged in some ways, Congress, um, with the money that it's spent to the, sent to the states mm -hmm. to do this work. So when I think about where that money will go and how it will be spent, I, and you talk about the backs of Vermonters, what I want is to make sure that that money that's going to businesses to make sure that they stay open is going to be used to strengthen Vermonters' backs, their back muscles, their stomach muscles, their bone structure. We're really like rocking the metaphors today. <laughs> um, 
And for me, that means that ensuring that those businesses that we are sending money to, to make sure that they're strong. For me, a strong business is a business that is a good employer mm -hmm. because that is the purpose of business is to create wealth for the owner and to employ Vermonters. And we know because that's how math works in a triangle that there are more people that work for businesses and own businesses. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that money, if I think about the backs of Vermonters, I want all of those Vermonters with strong backs that feel that they're being crushed to really get the most benefits from this funding so that they can continue to carry their load. Um, and so that they're more able to carry their load. Mm -hmm. And to me, that looks like ensuring that all of the jobs that are saved in Vermont are good jobs. That if we are going to be putting sweat and tears and dollars into saving jobs, that we're really focusing that energy on good jobs. Not that people with bad jobs should lose their jobs, but that bad jobs should become good jobs. And good jobs mean a wide range of things to people. But I think for all of, the, all of us, those are jobs with dignity. Those are jobs that pay a living wage. Mm -hmm. And those are jobs that enable us to live the lives that we need to leave, whether that's you know, flexibility um, with scheduling because we have kids that don't have childcare anymore. Mm -hmm or because we're caring for a loved one that can't leave the house right now, um, whatever that is. But so when I think about how we can be structuring government and structuring this next round of funds, whether that's the full year budget or whether that's COVID relief money, it's making sure that Vermonters, whether they were struggling before or are struggling now or aren't struggling, are able to have the strength that they need um, to mm -hmm. do what they need to do. We have to hear from our underwriters in a moment, but before we do, I just want to kind of go back to what you were saying about good jobs and, mm -hmm. and put a finer point on that. Because I think so often when people say good ba job, bad job, they're thinking, oh, a uh, uh, CEO is a better job than a waitress or something. And that's actually not what you're saying. You're talking okay. about the actual resources, whether that resource is flexibility of time, mm -hmm. paycheck, um, skills you're learning. Those resources can be many things, mm -hmm. but it's not actually the type of work that is either good or bad. It's what you are reaping from that work, whether it supports you or it does not, I mm -hmm. think is what I hear you're saying. Absolutely. Thank you. We have an... I think we have an assumption that a CEO job is a good job and a waitress job is a bad job because a CEO um, has the ability to pay their bills and meet their family's needs. And often, um, especially in a tourism dependent economy when tourism has been shut down, a waitress does not. Mm -hmm. um, and so making sure that for both of those people, they're able to make enough to feed their families and have the flexibility that they need to live the life that they need to live. And so for me, that's a good, that's a good job, a job mm -hmm. that pays your bills and enables you to take care of your obligations. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, thank you, Emily. And <laughs> if anyone's out there saying she used the word waitress rather than rather than wait staff, that's a gendered word. Yes, I did that on, on purpose because most of the people in service jobs in Vermont are women. Um, and there's a whole pay gap conversation we could have about that too, um, that we have had on, on other shows. We are going to hear from our underwriters here on WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7. So stay tuned. The Montpelier Happy Hour will
happy hour here on WBEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. I am your host, Olga Peters, and I have on the show with me regular contributor Emily Kornheiser, who is one of the three reps for Brattleboro to the State House. And as always, because Olga forgot again, I must remind you that the words and opinions and thoughts and everything expressed on the happy hour are those of the host and the guests, not the radio station. Did I get that right, Emily? I think you did, Olga. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. So let's pivot a little bit. We were we were talking before the break about how the House has passed um, a budget just to cover the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And and that it's level funded and it's basically we're just going to keep doing business as usual mm-hmm. um, because we're, you know, revenues have been just so higgledy piggledy everywhere. It's like pickup sticks, the worst nightmare pickup sticks ever. Um, and and I can see the sense in that. But of course, now I'm looking forward to the, the next three quarters. And what does that mean for the rest of 2020 and and state spending? Um, and. You know, I'm curious, we have talked before about how budgets are actually not a collection of numbers. Mm-hmm. They are actually a collection of values because you put your funding where you think things are valuable. That's what you pay for. Mm-hmm. And um, what, looking at where we are right now, what does this first quarter budget say about our values as a state? And can we, for the next, in the next three quarters, can we do business as usual? Mm-hmm. Um, what values do we need to either pivot to or maintain or, or uh, have new values? Um, I am, I'm curious about that. So um, first I wanna explain one more thing about the mechanism of how we're gonna make these decisions. Cause I sure. think that's important context. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of it. So usually we wrap up legislating um, for the year in early May Mm -hmm. and um, recess until January. And so this year we didn't do that. And we are legislating for all of May and all of June. And then we are going to take the month of July off. So we're gonna pass this first quarter budget. We are going to get the first round of COVID relief funds out the door. And then we're going to recess for a month. In that month, the folks who do our financial projections will be doing their projecting. And then we're going to return in August and September, maybe even October, <laughs> to finish out the biennium, focusing on those next three quarters um, with a greater understanding of the resources available to us, the resources we need to find. And hopefully with more flexibility from the federal government, because while we got a billion plus dollars in COVID relief, the number of restrictions and the severity of the restrictions on how we spend that money makes it remarkably difficult to do anything interesting with it. And that was not clear when the money first came out. And I don't know if our listeners are aware of that. Yes. And so that's... That's sort of where we are sitting right now with our work. Okay. So now I've forgotten what your original question was. So I I asked a rather rambling question, so it's fine that you forgot it. Um, I was basically- I was listening. (laughs) I was deep in it and then it's- Then it goes- I remember the pickup sticks. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Yes. Talking and talking in <laughs> metaphor. We're, we're just, this is a metaphor. Very visual today, I guess. Ooh. Yes. Um, so, you know, we have done the best we can for this first quarter mm-hmm. uh, with the budget, but what happens with the next three quarters? Uh-huh. And if budgets are um, a reflection of values. I remember it all now. Thank okay. you. Okay. <laughs> um, Take what it, will we run. Do? Thank you. So... We don't um, draft needs-based budgets. And what a needs-based budget looks like is you say, what are all the things we need? And what would it look like to fully fund them? And I think we've talked about this before, that we often um, 
have an idea in Vermont or a theory of change. Like we think that if we do A, it will result in B, which will solve C and everyone will thrive D. And what we often do is we take that theory and we give a quarter of the funding to it that it might need. And then we never know if the theory was flawed or if the execution was flawed. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have talked about this. Yes. And so with a needs-based budget, we're saying what, when we draft one, we're saying what would it look like to really do it, um, to do all the things that we think we need to do in order to meet the needs of Vermonters and meet the needs of state and government um, to function to truly serve Vermonters. That was one of the hardest things about the unemployment um, processing debacle from my end was it was so many people's, um, one of their first experiences um, really negotiating with the social services system. And it was a time when I think people really needed to trust government and to feel like government was meeting their needs. It's a time when people felt very vulnerable and we failed. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, you know, I'd like to say the administration failed, but I also like to think that the legislature could have done a better job holding the administration responsible. Mm-hmm. So, um, and interestingly, the commissioner who was in charge of all of that, who was interim commissioner, has just been appointed um, full and permanent commissioner and being praised for his leadership. So that's a whole other story that I think is very interesting to have. But so of a needs-based budget would take have us look at the whole picture and what that would look like for um, the particular environment that we're in right now would be um, understanding what the next step after the federal unemployment bonus benefits expire in July um, and how much more money we would need in Vermonters pockets for people to be able to sustain themselves. Mm -hmm. It would mean seeing what um, solving our housing challenges would look like, how much money that would take, knowing that we are going to save money down the line for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it would mean fully funding the Department of Fish and Wildlife so they can do the regulatory, um, really engage in the regulatory work they need to do. We know that a lot of Vermont businesses are doing their very best. And we've also talked a lot about how we have a lot of really great laws in Vermont that no one are aware exist. Um, and so we would have the technical assistance available to people for them to really um, for them to really um, understand the law and execute it. So whether that was funding that sat at our regional development corporations or the agency of commerce or the department of labor that really helped businesses be good employers, like to learn the stuff that they need to learn. So that's just like a snapshot mm-hmm. of all of it, but it would mean funding businesses to help them through the transition from what is a deeply contracted tourism economy um, to perhaps another way of doing their work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, rather than thinking that we can just do a little bit of boosty infusion and everything will be okay. Right. Um, or that you know one of the proposals on the table right now that's sort of a short-term, not a full needs-based um, proposal is Vermonters can be tourists in their own state. So if we had enough financial capacity in Vermont to sustain our tourism economy, we, it wouldn't look this way. Like the state wouldn't look this way. It's it's a ridiculous proposition. Mm-hmm. It, some of us might have fun and like visit lakes we haven't seen before, but it's not like the actual resources aren't on the table to make that possible. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what a needs-based budget would look like. It would look like a full accounting of the cost of the theories of change that we have written down in policy and law. Mm -hmm. So sorry, just to to try to make it a little more tactile. Um, In other words, if we instead of like what we say right now is we have a homeless, we have a number of people who are homeless. Mm -hmm. And we kind of know now after COVID when we did quickly house people, what that might cost but at this mm-hmm. point we wouldn't be able to say look to co- to house every single vermonter is basically it would cost x amount 
if we were to get them into this type of housing mm-hmm. and we would we would be able to to um to actually say this is what our services cost us and this is what they could cost us if we did this mm-hmm. um, which sounds very much like turning people into numbers but it really isn't it's called mm-hmm. it's turning needs into numbers and making sure they match people and we have that information available so the way the budgeting process usually works is we have advocacy organizations connected to each of those needs and each of those theories of change and they all fight it out in a scrum trying to make their need stand out enough that it gets added to the pile of needs and then all of those piles of needs then the pile the things that sneak through onto the final pile of needs then all get constricted to fit into the puzzle pieces that are the budget based on this existing number that's handed to the appropriations committee. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's and backwards. So I think it's backwards. And so that's why I wanted to be on ways and means. That's like why I ran for office. Cause I want us to raise revenue to meet need, not identify need based on available revenue. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and also again, I'm hearing the, the, the voices of other community members who are like, ah, oh, raise revenue, that means raising my taxes. Not necessarily, because it could no. also mean looking at our systems and our structures and being like, you know what? If we had everyone in Vermont earn a livable wage, then look, we wouldn't need this service, this service, this service, this service, because mm-hmm. that's costing us the same amount as over here. Yeah, um, if, and so you know, we can change how systems flow as well. If we fully funded our deep need for early care and education services, um, there is piles and piles and piles of evidence that within just a couple years, we would be saving significant dollars in our K-12 education system and mm-hmm. actually even then in our criminal justice system. And so some of it is like very short-term savings that are achieved if you really fully meet the need in the moment that's in front of you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Now I'm a little confused because I thought Vermont had legislation that said we are supposed to do needs-based budgeting, or Mm -hmm. I think the shorthand for the legislation is the people's budget. Yeah, um, we do. And we also have legislation that um, around equal pay true (laughs) it's (laughs) yeah you sum that one up nicely thanks (laughs) should i give a longer answer for the radio that's really that's all i have on that one um i think that you know i think that that was passed in a very aspirational way and Mm -hmm. it was very appreciated but it was seen as a gesture rather than a strategy. Uh-huh. Um, and I think we do that a lot. And I'm, you know, I'm concerned we're gonna do that with racial justice legislation as we move that forward. Um, I think we do it regularly with um, gender equality policies like the equal pay legislation um, that we don't, we don't put the resources and the strategy behind what real implementation or execution might look like of our laws. I'm not sure part we of put- that. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I think part of that isn't the legislature's fault because the implementation of a law is not up to the legislature. It's up to the executive branch, right? And so it's a very complex thing to do that you pass legislation with intention, but how that intention is carried out is not up to you. Right. That's that's what I notice as someone who who covers policy and and state issues. Um, Sometimes I feel like legislation gets passed and there are attempts made at like outreach and training and that type of thing but it is perhaps not as deep as some of the cultural shifts mm-hmm. that need to happen yes um, it doesn't go as deep down as it as it needs to so it can grow no new roots mm-hmm. and you know there's funny little pieces of that so i'll see um I'll see conversations on Facebook um, in like the Brattleboro New Moms Network or something. And people asking each other about like workplace accommodations for breastfeeding. And Vermont has some of the absolute best legal protections for breastfeeding accommodations in the entire country. And the Vermont Commission on Women did an incredibly good job 
um, helping to support that conversation in the legislature and has done to the best of their ability public education about it with the Department of Health. But what it takes on the ground level to help businesses um, feel accountable to that legislation is some footwork that we don't fund. Mm -hmm. And so we have, you know, mothers answering each other's questions about it without anyone with the necessarily the legal know-how to jump in and say like, no, no, you really, like you have rights, you have rights and here's where you go to get those rights met. Um, we don't have that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And so for me, a big part of the infrastructure and the needs um, that I think we're gonna need even more into the future as employment becomes more precarious and health implications become more complex mm -hmm. as we're sort of riding this pandemic um, is for employers to have the resources that they need to be accountable to their employees. Mm -hmm. And what would it take to make that happen? Um, I think it's a few, a few different things. And I don't know how far I'm going off the budget conversation here. So I, I'm sorry if you want to reel me back in. Um, no, I think we're still in the, 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 bu the budgets as a reflection of values. Okay, good. Theme. Yeah, um, I think we're still under that umbrella. So I think it would take for pieces of the budget that go towards businesses and business development to have accountability mechanisms built into them um, and reporting mechanisms built into them and say, you know, I certify that I'm going to try to do this or um, the programs and departments that are designed to support businesses or to support labor are accountable to those policies and procedures. Um, I think it also takes more capacity and funding that capacity. So one of the things that we really celebrate in Vermont is how many small businesses we have mm -hmm. and what a small business culture we have. And that's incredible. Um, it means that a lot more people can sort of access the dream of entrepreneurship, which is not something that interests me, but seems to interest a lot of other people. To me, it just sounds really stressful. Mm -hmm. um, and what that means though, is that we have a lot of businesses where people are very, very good at the thing that they are selling or doing or creating or producing, but don't necessarily have the skills or the training to support their workers, mm -hmm. right? They don't have um, the kind of broad-based HR skills and policy that a larger institution or organization might have. Mm -hmm. um, it also means that the kind of, you know, nationally we've built a system, um, whether by accident or on purpose, where it's labor unions that really move the conversation forward around workers' rights. And that's very difficult to do in Vermont with so many small businesses. Mm -hmm. um, because unionizing a four-person firm is it's just sort of awkward. Yeah. Um, and so offering up that HR capacity um, on the state's behalf is a really, really powerful thing that we can do to support small business owners and to support the people who work in those small businesses. And so that means both the financial pieces of that, so that's family medical leave, um, and that's healthcare, and that's taking those sort of um, pieces off of small business and centralizing them more because they can't be, because because of economies of scale that we can realize there around costs. And then it's also the skills and tools um, and having sort of consultancies and trainings available when we offer technical assistance to businesses that we're not just offering to businesses um, spreadsheets and citing support, but we're also offering the kind of comprehensive HR policies and training that would really help employees thrive. And it sounds like part of that training and that infrastructure would include or need to include when people have questions they know who they can call to ask those questions. Mm -hmm. So exactly. it's not just moms talking to each other. It's actually them getting their questions answered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we are just about out of time, but I want to... How does um, it always go so fast? I know, right? <sighs> um, I want to leave us with two things. The first is to just for listeners to think about, you know, we tell so many stories about ourselves 
as people, but also as Vermonters. And one of the stories is, you know, we love Bernie, we love this progressive way of life. But in reality, even though we're telling that story, is that reflected in our policy? Is that reflected in the way we vote? Is that reflected in other aspects of our lives? And so I, I would encourage listeners to kind of look to see where is the inconsistencies between the stories they're telling mm-hmm. and and the the tactile ground that they're walking on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also want to, uh, just in the interest of time, introduce something new to the happy hour. Uh, we used to talk about cocktails and because we've been meeting in the morning lately, we haven't been, or recording in the morning, we haven't been doing our, our drinking like we normally do. Um, so I want to introduce to the happy hour a toast. Ooh. Yes. And today I want a toast to courage because um, courage is, is nothing to, to laugh at. It takes courage to be courageous. Um, and I want to toast to everyone out there who has gone through this uncertainty of COVID and has still kept um, kept going and kept looking forward to the horizon. And I hope we keep doing that. And I hope we keep having the courage and the, the creativity to keep looking to the, towards those horizons. So here's the to courageous futures and courageous conversations with you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. So to courage everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVW 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Um, you can find us 2 p.m. on the radio. You can also find us on the Vermontitude SoundCloud page, the Vermontitude Facebook page. And Emily, where can people find you? People can find me at emilykornheiser.org, ekornheiser at gmail.com, ekornheiser at ledge.state.vt.us, first email address ever as well as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as hosting a weekly Zoom roundtable with the two other Brattleboro legislators this Saturday, which is tomorrow. Um, We're gonna be talking about racial justice legislation. And so that's 9 a.m. every Saturday. You can find the Zoom link to join us either on Facebook or in Front Porch Forum. And we'd love to have you there. Thank you, everybody. Have a good weekend.